Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Shoulder Stick Podcast. The aims of this podcast are to draw upon experts' knowledge to improve the physical therapy management of shoulder conditions, particularly related to the athlete. The management of shoulder injuries is complex, and we seek to provide the clinician with some tools to help them simplify their practice. My name is AJ Johnson, a current sports physical therapy resident at Mayo Clinic. During today's episode, we will be discussing hockey-related shoulder injuries and shoulder rehabilitation with our featured guest, Rick Jorites. Rick is a physical therapist and sports clinical specialist as well as athletic trainer. He currently works at the University of Pittsburgh. His professional accomplishments are vast and include being a physical therapist for the Pittsburgh Penguins, of which he won two Stanley Cups with. He is also the first physical therapist to work with University of Pittsburgh Athletics, and he has also authored on many research papers. It is my pleasure to welcome Rick onto the podcast. Welcome, Rick. Hi, AJ. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time, and um, hopefully the weather's a little bit nicer over in Pittsburgh right now than it is in Minneapolis. We've we seem to hit a bit of a cold front. Yeah, we actually have a couple of nice days running through here. That's not too bad at all. And I was, we were talking before the episode that uh, Rick's team crushed my childhood dreams as a Philadelphia Flyers fan. There's nothing worse than a than a Pittsburgh Penguins victory, but I'll, I'll try my best not to hold that too much against you. <laughs> I, I would like to say that I'm sorry, but I, I would be wrong. <laughs> no need to apologize for championships. I, I'm just jealous that the Flyers haven't won anything in a while. Um, so as we kind of dive in, I kind of want to pick your brain about your hockey background and your hockey experience. Cause I think that's a sport that we as um, clinicians, especially related to the shoulder, which is the kind of goal of this podcast, it's not a whole lot of injuries that we typically see. Um, so I think just talking about it and bringing some things to, to light would be helpful for the clinician listening to this podcast. Um, so I guess what we can kind of start off with broadly is what are the typical um, conditions that you're seeing your hockey players who are having shoulder pain come in with? Uh, the shoulder, the shoulder problems that I, I saw most often were related to AC joint sprains, uh, labral tears and, and episodes of instability. Um, and then also saw a lot of, uh, kind of referred pain from neck injuries. Um, a lot of upper trap pain, um, you know, especially following concussion. Uh, so I dealt with a lot of kind of referred shoulder pain that came from the head injuries. Yeah, and I think as as I kind of comb through the the research to talking about um, shoulder injuries specifically related to hockey, it it definitely has the highest incidence of AC joint pathologies, um, but then also shoulder instability episodes, whether that be from an acute dislocation or just chronic um, chronic labral tear. But it is interesting that you bring up that point of the concussions because that's something that I wasn't necessarily thinking about was more of that referred symptomology coming from that neck. Um, so when you kind of look a little bit more in depth into AC sprains, I know we kind of classically see the fall onto the shoulder or being checked into the boards. Um, but what are your kind of clinical indications in your exam? How does that look like um, before you may involve a, f- a physician, for example? Because there's numerous different grades of AC joint sprains. So at least in my in my time with the Penguins, it's you can't have a you know, a paper cut without getting a, a physician involved. Uh, you just you really need to, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, um, you know, getting extra sets of eyes on things because you never want to be in the situation of, well, why didn't the physician look at this immediately? Um, so 
kind of your valuation was pretty standard. Um, I mean, the mechanism is, is pretty clear cut. They either fell on it, they got hit, um, they got they got checked into the boards, um, they checked somebody into the boards, and you know, it's pretty pretty classic eval of you know, they they point right to the top of the shoulder. You know, your exam is is range of motion, palpation, a uh, couple stability tests, um, compression test, and, and it's usually a, a pretty pretty straightforward eval. Um, and then, like I said, the, the physician is always going to be involved. Uh, they're always going to be notified that it happened. Um, you know, anytime that, you know, somebody has a suspected AC joint, and I, I would say more often than not, they're getting an x-ray just to rule out any, any chance of a fracture. So you could think it's a minor grade one sprain, but at that level, at least it's, it's going to be x-rayed to, to rule out any potential fracture and get an exact quote unquote picture of you know, what's happening. Yeah. And I think you alluded to it exactly. AC joint sprains and injuries are one of the most easy for us as clinicians to detect when we take a look at shoulder pathologies in general, because we know our special tests aren't as special as we like to think for rotator cuff, as well as labral pathologies, but exactly what you alluded to AC joint pathology is a little bit more easy to kind of detect and to kind of navigate through. Um, sticking on the theme of AC joint sprains, um, and the, mostly because they're a common injury in this in this population, um, I like to think of rehab and breaking it up into different specific phases. What I think is fascinating about hockey is there's such a big open chain component when they're performing slap shots, passes, but then the AC joint also needs to withstand contact. Um, so when you're going through the structuring of your plan of care and your rehab phases for an AC joint sprain, what are the big things that you're keeping in mind of, and what are your kind of like your big, um, goals of each phase of rehab? Uh, so I would probably start with, with education to, to a lot of people involved. So, you know, reassuring, reassuring the, the patient, the athlete, uh, whomever that, Look, your your biggest complaints and the last things to come back are, you know, that reaching overhead, reaching across your body, reaching behind your back. So, I mean, these these guys are the same as you and I. Um, they still have to wash their wash their hair, brush their teeth, reach overhead into the closet, you know, get get their wallet out of their back pocket. You know, they still have to do all those normal ADLs. So, you know, telling them like, hey, these are the these three motions are, are going to be awful and, and you're going to hate it. And they'll be the last to come back. Um, and then also, you know, telling, telling the player, telling the coaches, uh, telling management that, you know, we could put a timeline on it. You know, we could say a grade one is, you know, could be as quick as one week could be as long as four. Um, everything is dictated by pain, which is just really frustrating for everyone involved. Um, you could have the, the grade one that, just everything hurts and you wonder why is this taking like over three weeks and, you know, approaching four weeks and, you know, players, coaches, management, everybody's asking like, why, why isn't this guy ready to go? Um, and, you know, truth be, truth be told, it just hurts and they can't do it. Um, you know, and then you can have, you know, the next, the next guy that gets an AC joint injury has got a grade two and, you know, you get told an expected time frame like you're going to be out maybe three to six weeks for grade two. And they're there at four weeks, like ready to go. Like no, no issues at all. And it's wondering like, well, I don't think I did a bad job on the first guy and a great job on the second guy. I think it's just a, they're just different animals. So I think telling coaches and management ahead of time, like, yeah, we'd like to put this, 
you know, here's here's probably the middle of the bell curve when they'll probably be back, but don't be shocked if if it takes longer. And I and I love that point too. And Joe Joe Rauch, who was on earlier, and and you know Rick, um, kind of made that point too of these are high level athletes who are so good at what they do but they are also human beings at the end of the day. And we also need to help manage their expectations, um, whether it be anytime there's an injury, anytime there's surgery involved. Um, but you also deal with a unique circumstance in which you have to manage the coach, the organization, all the different members of the medical team, their expectations of that as well. And, and that can definitely be a burden for yourself as a clinician. And what have you kind of learned through your process of, how you can best manage those, those expectations. And maybe it's just having those tough conversations. Um, I, I think being honest and upfront at all times uh, is, is best for whether you're talking to the player, you know, family, um, coworkers, you know, management coaches, whomever, um, being honest. Um, I use the phrase a lot with the, uh, you know, primarily with the player that I never want to use time as a, you know, the sole criteria to progress and, and to clear you to, you know, I, I was never the one who, who cleared someone to play, but in kind of giving my seal of approval and, and my thumbs up for, for somebody's rehab, like I'm never going to use, never going to use time as a sole criteria to progress. That being said, you can't cheat biology. Um, you, you can't negotiate with biology. So, you know, I, I tell them that like, it, it takes X amount of time for something to heal. Um, so don't be, don't be surprised if you you look good, feel good, you know, before the, this ligament has healed um, or this tissue has healed, you know, no matter what the injury is. And, and it's like, yeah, you look good, feel good. But if we put you back out there, there's a very high likelihood that this is going to get a lot worse. Um, so I'll start with that, with managing the expectations and then just kind of progress the, the rehab accordingly, just like anybody else. It's in the beginning phases, it's, it's check all the boxes, get the Get the range of motion back. Get the get your baseline strength. Get your build your endurance. Um, get your mobility back. Um, you know before you start getting entertaining the idea of skating and, and hockey activities. Um, I need that foundation to be set. No, and I and I love that point of you're exactly right. There is only so much we know with regards to biology and tissue healing, um, and I think we've we can start to take points from ACL rehab, which is the most well-studied injury and, and rehabilitation that we have available and extrapolate it to then other conditions where we do know that there's a tissue time healing effect that occurs. Um, but then we also know that we need to kind of go through that progressive rehab and we need to test them and we need to make sure that they can tolerate the different stressors. And there is no exact stress that's going to replicate hockey performance. Um, but with that in mind, what are some of the tests that you utilize um, for an athlete coming off an AC joint sprain that kind of says, yep, I, I'm giving my stamp of approval for them to get back into some practice contact type drills. Are you doing any specific testing? Um, you know, unfortunately not, it's probably going to be a, they're building up this question. And then my answer is, is a really boring no. Um, you know, it's like I said, check all the boxes, get everything normalized again you know, your, your early strengthening and rehab, everything's below shoulder height. And then when they're, when they're able to, you, you get them above shoulder height and then you get them reaching across their body. Um, 
but in terms of the progression, I mean, not just specific for AC joints, but um, as well as all, all the shoulders that, you know, no matter what the issue is, it's the, the on ice progression becomes the test. So yeah, I'm definitely going to do strength testing and, and measure range of motion and make sure that everything is normalized. And, and I'll definitely do things like uh, the close kinetic chain upper extremity test, so maybe a Y balance test, a, a seated shock foot test. I, I want to look at all those things, but at the end of the day, like if, if my seated shot put test is 75% and a guy can rip some slap shots, then I'm going to put a lot more value in, you know, the guy that can tell me that taking slap shots and, and doing everything on the ice feels, feels fine and feels normal. Uh, so it's just the progression of, you know, we can, we can talk about it in, in some more detail if you want, but I mean, it, it's, what is skating like? I mean, not just, don't even worry about a puck, but what's skating like, um, you know, and then it's, it's stick handling, you know, can you handle a puck um, outside your base of support before you even think about passing and shooting, you know, and then just progressing with your shooting intensity. And then it's, um, it's starting your contact drills. Yeah, no. And, and there's, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. And I, and I kind of want to break it down a bit by bit because there's a lot of information packed into that. Um, but I, I, after speaking with a lot of different clinicians throughout this podcast series, um, what I'm finding is there's this common theme of we're able to utilize the rehabilitation process as well as how they've tolerated range of motion, strength, plyometrics, proprioception for whatever joint. And that then becomes our test of how that athlete is ready to return back to sport. And I think that it's an important thing because we're able to assess on throughout the continuum of care as compared to one specific day where maybe they're feeling crappy and they do, they do really poorly on that seated shot put test, for example. Um, and then uh, talking about that on ice progression, I think you kind of talked nicely just kind of about getting them comfortable back on the ice, putting a stick in their hands, and then just progressing with kind of the intensity of those different things. What my follow-up question, and, and there may not be an answer to it, a lot of baseball has pitch counts and kind of like throwing numbers, running has distance numbers. Is there something that you typically advise as like a guideline for whether it be the first day passing or shooting as to like um, a number or is it more pain as your guide? Um, this is yes, but no. Um, it, it's really hard because uh, I mean, these guys want to, you know, if you've got a lower body injury, you got, you know, all these people coming into to clinic with ACL injuries. You know, one of the first questions they're asking, like, when can I start running again? Um, these guys are asking, when can I start skating? And, you know, we talk about things like, yeah, you feel good, but um, I, I don't want you to fall. And they, they look at you like you're crazy because they can skate better than you and I can walk, right? You and I, like, we can, like, I don't know how good of a hockey player you are, but if you go out on the ice, like, there's a good chance you're going to fall and, and crack your skull, right? They, they're going to go out, like you wouldn't hesitate to walk to the mailbox, would you? Like they're, they'll get on the ice and, and just go. But with the shoulder injury, like I'm concerned with the speed in which you skate and your arm motion, um, there's a lot of extension and kind of reaching across. Like if, if you get full, you know, end to end going as fast as you can, there's a lot of arm motion. So depending on the injury, um, whether it's, maybe an anterior instability and you're worried about that arm getting extended, does that cause symptoms? Um, 
when you reach across, you know, if you're in your full stride and, and your arm comes across your body more than, than straight, a, straight ahead, does that cause symptoms? So we try to say like, only skate this fast. And depending on the player, maybe they listen to you. Maybe they just go hundred miles an hour um, and trying to control that is, is really difficult. Um, you know, so we could stick with like, all right, you can, your, your pain intensity or your skating speed should be dictated by pain. And hopefully that they, they kind of reel it in and, and keep it within that limits. And, and then the same for you know, your passing progression and then your shooting progression. Like, all right, can you do a, you know, can you puck handle? Um, you know, can you, you know, you can do everything by your feet and, and stick handle, you know, around in, within your base of support. But then when you have to reach across your body over to the left, how does that feel? When you have to reach uh, all the way across to your right, how does that feel? And then if you're trying to get a puck from behind you, how does that feel? And, and that's a very slow progression that you can't really, you know, that becomes binary. Either it hurts or it doesn't. Um, and sometimes that's the only way to find that out is, is to, to do it. And I think a lot of that too um, kind of goes back to that communication and rapport with that patient because that return back to sport is is so individualized and it's hard to predict. Like you mentioned from the way beginning, a grade one sprain that takes forever, a grade two who's doing really well. Um, and I think it ties back into the education and the managing the expectations from the athlete and being transparent and honest at the beginning as to here's what we expect. Here's why this is important to get this sorted out appropriately now so it doesn't become a chronic problem for you the rest of the season um and then hopefully with with all that education then the athlete's able to then self self auto regulate um switch switching gears up a little bit away from ac joints um because i think we could probably talk all day on that um but another one of the common things is more of these um instability episodes um whether that be a chronic instability chronic labral deficiency or a more acute um, a dislocation. Um, I think we can talk through kind of the similar rehab processes that are the same with AC joints. Um, but I guess one of the big questions I want to get from you, when you're looking at an athlete with instability, specifically hockey, what are the things that typically take the longest to get back and what do they have the most difficulty with? Um, if it's one thing that they have necessarily difficulty i think it's just the it's just the progression that takes a while um you know and it's if if we're talking about on ice or off ice training um you know the pt part is is, is pretty standard i mean we're going to do our thing and, and it's it's like all the other injuries that you talked about in, in previous podcasts like we're going to do our thing and, and get them back to normal but you know it's also communicating with the the strength and conditioning staff like how are they doing in the weight room um, you know, are they able to press overhead or, you know, what are they doing with a bench press? What are they doing with, um, you know, any lower body training, um, that, you know, whether it's a, it's an instability, it's an AC joint, you know, anything, it's like, if they pick up a dumbbell to do any exercise, like, are they able to properly stabilize it? And are they properly cued to stabilize it, um, in terms of, shoulder and scapular stabilization, or are they letting that arm hang and distract from that joint? You know, so if you have somebody with some kind of anterior inferior instability or that, that AC joint, like 
just holding that dumbbell to do lower body work is is going to be problematic. Um, you know, so so typically, like if you know, and, and each each team, you know, each group does it differently. Like you know, some may say, you know, the the sports medicine team is is only going to do the involved um, the involved side, and strength conditioning can do contralateral arm and the legs and core. Just don't do anything with the involved upper extremity or some will mix it with like, okay, you can do, here are some things that you can do, but don't do this stuff. Um, you know, here's your, here's your box to work in. You can do whatever you want within the box. Just don't go outside the box. Um, so every group does it differently. Um, you know, so that's kind of the, the off-ice training part of it. And then it's, it's using that information as well to, to guide the progression. Um, and then, you know, getting on the ice, it's the, it's, it's the progression, like, okay, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you do 100% intensity shots if you're having difficulty passing. Um, and we got lucky with, um, when I was, you know, for the majority of my time there, we had a, a skating coach that he went out with the injured players before practice. So it was a, a fresh sheet of ice early in the morning. Um, they were typically on the ice at, you know, we did rehab at, at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. They were skating at nine and, you know, they were back off the ice and, and re ready for a team meeting at, at 9.45. And, and luckily our, our skating coach was, um, was previously a chiropractor. So he had a medical background, which was great that we could talk to him and, and he understood our language and what we wanted to do and not do. Uh, so kind of a way to get, a way to, I don't wanna say control the player, but a way to control the player was that we would dictate, you know, we knew what drills were going to happen today and what drills were going to be progressed tomorrow. And, and that was, you know, everything was, was taken care of and pre-planned and that way, like, all right, I'm, we're all good with, with these three drills, maybe not this one, take it out or, or maybe leave it. Like if he's feeling great, like we'll, we'll kind of judge it in real time. Uh, so that was, that was a really help. Uh, that was a good asset for us. No, I love that point. And I think that's just us as, physical therapists and sports medicine professionals being more involved in that rehabilitation, but then also the sport performance aspect of it. And I've had a conversation with Maggie Bryan, who's a physical therapist for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, and she said kind of the same thing as what you're alluding to is that there's this ongoing conversation between yourself, the strength coach, the coach as to what practice is looking like, what we're trying to accomplish, what we think they can do and whatnot. Now that's definitely unique to the professional sport setting. Um, but I think that there is importance in that point to us who work with high school athletes, college athletes, um, being able to reach out to the athletic trainer at the school who's working with these individuals, having a good working relationship with the athlete so that they can provide you with input as to what practice looks like. So then we can help to structure practice as part of their rehabilitative process. Um, which I think is so vastly important to all the points that you previously alluded to. Yeah. So we, I mean, we would make modifications based on I mean, which extremity it was, um, you know, whether it was, it was top hand or, or bottom hand. I mean, they would have different, different requirements, um, you know, and, and kind of, is, is this somebody who plays pickup hockey in, in kind of a, a beer league, or is this somebody who is, you know, playing at a high level junior level, um, you know, or, you know, some sort of travel league or, 
you know, all the way to the profession, it's, it's the communication has to be key. Um, I think if you're treating that, that high school athlete or, or that even the, the middle school at, at this point, like, I mean, there's some high level middle school hockey that that's being played, um, you know, with certain travel teams and, you know, they all have an athletic trainer like assigned to them and, and you're crazy to not reach out and, and get on the same page and, and communicate and like, okay, here's what's happening in rehab. Like, you know, they're, they're cleared to get on the ice and, and unless you're going to be the one, and this is not a bad idea to go do, but unless you're going to be the one who's going to go to practice and, and watch your patient, then you're going to have to have that relationship and trust with, with that athletic trainer. And, um, you know, like, okay, where, where are they? What can they do? What can't they do? And then not, not 180 degreeing it real quick, but when you looked, cause you kind of mentioned the top hand, bottom hand relationship with hockey. And that is a little bit more unique as compared to other stick sports. Um, but I don't know if you know offhand um, with regards to like different forces. Um, but when you're looking at a, a patient with, uh, or an athlete who has maybe an instability episode, what do you find it's more difficult with passing or shooting? Is it more the top hand or is it more the bottom hand um, that they're exerting more force through? Um, I would say it, it's when, when I first started, I, I definitely thought it would be the shooting. Um, I definitely thought that that slap shots, you know, when that stick, hits the ice before it hits the puck that that force like and I've looked um and haven't found anything specific like I haven't found numbers to it um so I I'm not sure as to like the amount of force that goes into it but I like everybody else probably assumed that that shooting was was the hardest but it was it was actually like so you know if, if you're not familiar like top hand and bottom hand if your top hand on the stick, like it never leaves the stick. Like you were always holding that stick. So if you're a left-handed shot, you know, it means that the stick is, is going to be on your left side to shoot. So if it's your right side, that's, um, that's the involved side, your right hand is always going to be on the stick. So, you know, it, it's a lot of like, you're moving a lot. Um, it, you know, that arm is, is working a lot in space. Um, and it, it's a lot of stabbing, like to get a puck out of the corner. Um, you know, so one of my favorite, you know, no matter the diagnosis for that shoulder, like one of my favorite exercises to do was we had this, uh, it was like four foot long stick. It wasn't a hockey stick. It was just one of those sticks. Like if you picture what you would use for like a chop and lift pattern, it was just kind of one of those like four foot long bars that had two hooks on the end of it. And we, we connected it to the, the Kaiser machine or I mean you could do any cable or, or even a band anything and we would just kind of turn it so that the band was far away from you and you were just kind of like stabbing at something so like here was the target and that band or, or cable or whatever was kind of pulling you in all different directions and it became like one huge perturbation exercise and it, it would exhaust all of all of the patients like they would be just absolutely gassed from doing this for like 10 20 30 seconds and and what I really looked for was, um, you know, when do you feel comfortable doing this? Um, you know, when do you feel like you can control, it would only be like a couple pounds on it. Like you didn't, you didn't need a lot. Like it would be like three, four, five pounds, but it was enough that it would just like, if, if you lost it, like it was coming back and you were going to really have to, to work to stabilize it. So, you know, one of the things that I, I would always ask, like, okay, strength wise, how do you feel? But also like confidence wise, how do you feel with, you know, do you feel stable in the shoulder? Um, so translating that onto the ice, like if, if, if the player is in 
um, whether it's, it's defensemen trying to, or, or really any player um, trying to protect the puck, they mostly have their top hand on their stick trying to protect the puck. And if I'm trying to get the puck from you, then I'm trying to stab at it and, and take it from you. The bottom hand, however, was always the one that was doing most of the closed chain type of exercise. So that was the one that is balancing you and stabilizing you if your hand is on the boards or your hand is on a body and bodies move. So now you have a, a moving surface that you're trying to balance on. So if you're training, if you're involved inside your bottom hand, it's a lot more closed chain um, type of exercises. Um, if it's top hand, probably, probably more open chain. And I appreciate that point too, because I was just about to ask if if you typically bias more of your rehab, because we did have a podcast episode with Drew Jang talking roles of open versus closed chain, and there definitely is a role for everything. Um, but that is interesting to think about how the bottom hand of the stick will be more impacting as a closed chain unit, because you're, you're not oftentimes thinking their hands resting on an athlete, their hands resting on the boards. Um, so I think that is a that is a nice little clinical pearl um, that we can kind of bias more of our strength chain or, or more of our strength training around as well. And that was uh, kind of the last test. Mm -hmm. It's kind of whenever they got to the end and, and okay, we're going to initiate contact. Like you're not so much worried about, I mean, unless you're playing the flyers, I mean, you're not really worried about that big open ice hit. That's just blasts you, right? You are worried about the, like, I've got to get into I got to get into the corner and be able to protect a puck. And, you know, a coach does not want a player back in the lineup if they can't do that. So, you know, some players would be allowed to go back to practice, you know, depending on who the player was, the situation, a lot of variables, but, you know, some players would be allowed to do non-contact practice and then they would stay on with like an assistant coach at the end of practice and just work on battling drills. Um, you know, and then some players would, you know, we wouldn't let them go back to practice until they did that first. Um, but that was always like the end. I mean, we can take like we can go in the back of the back of the gym and, and take a, a stick and cross check, a, you know, a heavy bag uh, that we had in the arena. And it's like, OK, how do you feel like just cross checking a, a body bag? Like, how does this force going into your shoulder? How do you feel? Um, but then doing it on the ice is, is just completely different. Um, it's one of those sports that it's really hard to replicate things off the ice that translate directly onto the ice. I mean, you do your best, but you know, the, like I said before, the, uh, the return to sport test is hockey, you know, and it, it gets to the point like, okay, you've done everything. We've thrown everything at you. How do you feel? You know, you get the, you get that blessing from doc and then it's okay. You're, you know, you tell the coach, all right, they're, they're cleared, ready to get back in the lineup. And then it becomes a coach's decision. And I think that you're exactly right. The struggle is how do we replicate this in order for the athlete to feel confident and for you as a clinician to feel confident that they can tolerate those loads. Um, and, and that is, that's an interesting utilization. And we have a punching bag too, that I might have to start utilizing. I may have to, some of my coworkers are going to see me cross-checking a body bag and be like, what the heck is going on over there? But, um, but I think that is what is so unique and fascinating about hockey to myself is there's so many different demands of the shoulder. It has to exert force as a, as a close connect chain stabilizer. It needs to exert force and open chain. And then lastly, and probably most importantly, when we're looking at shoulder rehab, it needs to absorb force, whether that be from a moving 
object or from a stationary object. And you're, I think we don't have any tests that replicate that other than doing the sport itself. So I, I appreciate kind of all those different comments and, and kind of all the different knowledge bombs. Um, as we kind of look to, to kind of wrap up our podcast today, um, one of the things that I like to ask is, in your experience of working with hockey players, specifically with shoulder injuries, what is one thing that you've learned throughout the years that may have been more helpful as you were just getting started in hockey? Um. I don't know if it's, it's probably not hockey specific, but at least with shoulders, I wish that, you know, if I could go back to the start of my career to put more emphasis on the treatment of, you know, when I, the shoulder is not just the glenohumeral joint. There is a huge soft tissue component to it and treating the soft tissue component. There is a huge scapulothoracic component and, you know, it's not just, not just training, you know, scapular stabilizers or just doing a bunch of I's, Y's and T's, you know, there's a lot more to it. And then, you know, the thoracic spine is, is a big part of it. And, you know, if, if sometimes the shoulder, like, you know, can't handle a lot of the rehab early on, like, well, I can work scapular thoracic joint. I can work T-spine. I can do all of those things. And, and eventually like, I'll get to the same place in the end, but if I knock out all those other things first then the shoulder, just, you know, once the shoulder's ready to go, like the, the player's ready to go. So I would say early, I, I wish earlier on, I, I spent more time with, you know, soft tissue and, and T-spine and scapula. And I think that's an important point to bring up is it's looking specifically at a pathology, whether it be at the AC joint or at the glenohumeral joint for a labral issue. Um, but it's not, it's called the shoulder complex for a reason, because there's four different joints that are kind of at play there. Um, and I've had that conversation with other clinicians in the past, looking at rehabbing a rotator cuff repair where we can't move the glenohumeral joint. We can't activate rotator cuff, but we can do scapular PNF. We can do different thoracic mobility exercises. Um, so that way we can set the foundation to then build on, um, ultimately meeting the rate limiting factor of the glenohumeral joint. So we want to eliminate all those other factors as playing a role as quickly as we can to make the sole determinant factor in our rehab, the tissue's capacity at the AC joint to overhead reaching cross body adduction or at the glenohumeral joint to tolerate those distracting type or compressive loads. And especially, I mean, you, you talked about those patients with the, uh, the chronic instability and, and this isn't isolated to hockey, but the, that just chronic instability, um, if they don't have the scapular thoracic, the, the thoracic motion, like they're going to try to make up for it with the shoulder. Um, so you've got to, you got to knock out all those, those other things first. Um, you know, I just, I just taught the shoulder class, um, you know, or the shoulder unit to, um, my elective on on Monday, and we were talking about just immediate shoulder post-op shoulder rehab, and yeah, you know, I talked about the importance of like you can start active kind of four-way scapular motion exercises right away. I mean, they can do it while in the sling. I mean, the shoulder's protected; it's not going anywhere. Um, you know, as soon as they're comfortable, like within a week, if, if they can lay on their side, and if you can do passive um, passive scapular motion, um, you know, scapular distraction, like they're going to be a sling for four, six, eight weeks. Like that scapular thoracic joint is just going to stiffen up. So if, if that's not resolved and um, 
you know, you're just going to end up maybe mistakenly cranking on a shoulder and, and that's not the problem. Um, so if you can, if you can address those things early on, then, you know, once you're clear to start moving that shoulder, you're ready to go. Perfect. And to kind of tie that into always making sure we're clearing by the, the by the surgeon, um, because we we as therapists know that it's safe to, to get into some more scapular things, um, but just making sure that all members of the medical team are are, are on board with that. And um, with, with that, I would like to, again, thank you so much, Rick, for for stepping on the podcast and absolutely crushing it um, and, and really teaching me a lot about hockey and hopefully teaching all the different listeners um, about the rehab and how complex it really is for the shoulder. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of the same thing that we do on a day-to-day basis and um, it's using your rehab and using that return to sport progression tactically and skillfully to ensure that the athlete is ready to go back to sport. Thanks AJ. This was great. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank you again for tuning into the shoulder stick podcast. We would again like to thank Rick Jurites uh, for taking the time to be with us today. We would also like to thank the board of the shoulder stick of the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy for their continued support with this podcast. You can reach out to us with feedback, ideas, or topics you'd want covered via our email, shouldersigpodcast at gmail.com, or by engaging with us in the Shoulder Sig Mobilize app. This podcast will be available across all the major music and podcast streaming services. We hope you can join us next time, but until then, we hope you have a great rest of your day.